This world, our families, our lives are broken and messy. What if Jesus could take our failures, our pride, doubts, rebellion, shame? What if Jesus could accomplish something we never imagined? What if he could take our messes and create something astounding? Something meaningful, life-changing, beautiful. Something the world has never seen before. Father, thank you for your grace. I pray that as we uh, move into your word now, because God, it's all about your word. Everything we say, everything we do goes back to your revealed truth to us. I pray that you would speak to us now. God, we've got a huge topic before us, the idea of your glory. And we pray, God, you speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've said it before and I'll say it again. Christians have a language all their own. You ever notice that about us? We have a language all our own. Like you hang around a Christian for a very length, any length of time and they use words that nobody else in culture uses. I've been a Christian for 35 years and when I first became a believer when I was 17 years old out of a highly secular background, I remember hanging around these people and thinking, what, is, what does amen mean? You know, and I thought, what does the blood mean? What does saved mean? And, and what are praise choruses? And, and why are they always talking about small groups? And, you know, all these words that we use, and they're not bad words. They're actually very good words. Many of them come from this book, and many of them have deeply held meaning for how we communicate with God and each other. But let's face it, we have a language all our own. And probably top on that list is the word that we're going to talk about today, the word glory. I got to ask you, when you go to work tomorrow, anybody in your work environment going to use the word glory uh, throughout their daily experience? Probably not. The only time I ever hear a secular person use the word glory is if they're referring to the nickname of the American flag, Old Glory, or if they're referring to that Matthew Broderick Civil War film, Glory. But outside of that, I don't hear too many people talk about glory, but Christians do. And for good reason. The word glory appears in the Bible 400 plus times. That's a lot of times. God uses this word glory all the time. As we're going to see in a second here, Jesus uses this word glory all the time. We sing about the glory of God, glory to God in the highest. We talk about how they beheld Jesus' glory. And what you and I need to do today is understand what it is Christians mean by glory. We're in a series here called A Beautiful Mess, and we're taking a look at one chapter in the Bible, John 13. It's one meal that Jesus had with his disciples, but it's the last supper before his trial and arrest and crucifixion. It's Jesus's last meal uh, before his death with the disciples, and we're noting that in this meal, it's a veritable mess. And we know that because the action ping-pongs back and forth between forgiveness to betrayal to glory to love to a prediction of denial. 
I mean, I don't know what your family dinners are like, but you guys ping pong back and forth between all that stuff, maybe you do, but we'd call that a dysfunctional family. And so the reality is, is that there's a dysfunctional meal going on here, but as we're noting as well, that with Jesus's presence there, he's able to turn it into a beautiful mess. Hence the title of our series. And we're asking the question that maybe in the midst of our own mess, could Jesus do the same thing? Does he want to turn our mess into a beautiful mess? And today, we come to this idea of glory. So Jesus is sitting at the table with this final meal with his now 11 disciples, because remember last week Judas left to go betray Jesus. And so there's 11 disciples at the table, and look at what happens next. We're going to look at just two verses today but they are jam-packed with this idea of glory. It says, when he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, now is, the, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. I'm not very great at math, but I count five. One, two, three, four, five instances in two sentences of this idea of glory. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that maybe Jesus is trying to emphasize something here. And so we need to spend a few minutes here today understanding what glory is. Then we're going to go back to this passage here and look at what Jesus is saying about glory. You know, when I uh, interact with Christians, which I do a lot, uh, I, once in a while I'll ask them to define their terms, which is always kind of an awkward thing, but somebody will say, you know, hallelujah. And I'll say, what does that mean? And they'll say, you know, praise the Lord. What, what does the word praise mean? You know, and, and when Christians use the word glory, once in a while I'll say, define that for me. What do you mean by glory? And again, the reason it's awkward is because I'm telling you, 99 out of 100 Christians can't give you a good working definition of glory. I had one person say to me recently, well, I don't know what it is, but it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. And I said, yes, you're right. It is a good thing. But we maybe should have something a little bit more than that if we're going to throw around this term glory that the Bible does so often. So let me do this. For the next 10 or 15 minutes, I'm going to give you a quick primer on glory that I think will forever settle what it is. And then we're going to go back to Jesus's passage here. So here's a good working definition of glory. You're going to like this. Uh, glory is, God's glory is God's external manifestations. It's anything that flows from God. And you're going, what? Let me repeat it, then we'll explain it. It, it. God's glory, the Bible says, is God's external manifestations. It's anything that flows from him. In other words, God's glory, according to the Bible, now watch this, is anything that ever shines forth from who God is, whether it be his actions, his words, or his appearances. And so the word glory, even if you take God out of it, in the Bible literally means to exalt or magnify something. It means to, to, to notice that something has a core or essence to it, say like this glasses case here. But if I was to lift it up and say, look at this glasses case and exalt it and magnify it, that would be trying to show you the glory of it. So glory is any time that we exalt or magnify something that is worthy to be exalted or magnified. And think about it, because every 
anything of God is worthy to be exalted or magnified, then it makes sense that any time or anything of God shines forth from him, then the Bible smacks a label on that and says that's the glory of God. So anytime we glimpse or know anything about him, the Bible says you've just tapped into a little bit of the glory of God because his glory is anything that shines forth of himself. So I like how John Piper puts it. He says, God's glory is the visible splendor of God's manifold perfections. The visible splendor of his manifold perfections. Or put more simply, it's what God is like when we see behind the veil to who he really is. It's anything that we ever see, hear, or know of God in his actions, thoughts, or personhood. So maybe this analogy will help. What's this a picture of? Anybody know? Yeah, boy, you guys sleeping here? What is it? It's the sun, yes. And, and, and we all know that the sun is made up of a lot of inert gases and compounds and stuff that, stuff that makes up the core essence of the sun. But then the sun also radiates both light and heat. And that's how you and I experience the sun. We, we are actually up there right next to the sun. We don't uh, see its gases and all that. We don't see the core and substance of the sun. But we do experience the sun because we experience what radiates from it. It's heat and light. And in that sense, now watch this, we might say that the glory of the sun is its heat and light. Give me a head nod that you all understand that. And the Bible says the same thing about God. God has a core and essence about him that you and I cannot see, we cannot understand. I mean, he is God. His glory is in the heat and the light that he emits that at times breaks through into this world and into our lives. And anytime we experience the heat and light, it's the glory that we are now experiencing. And so you ask, well, where is this glory seen? You know, again, it's for another sermon. I actually did an entire sermon on this back in 2009. And so you can reference that if you can find it online. But, but, but I taught back then, and this is worth repeating, that God's glory is actually seen in three primary areas in, in this world. And that's it as glory, the Bible says, is seen in creation, and it's seen in Christ, and it's seen in the church. And it's not that God's glory doesn't appear in other ways. I'm not suggesting that. But when you read all the 400 instances of glory in the Bible, it's interesting. They quickly reduce themselves to creation, Christ, and church. We all know this one. God's glory is seen in creation. Look how the psalmist would say it. The psalmist says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. I'm not going to argue with about this, but, you know, any of us who know this is true, we know it's true because we've gone to the Grand Tetons or we've gone to the beach or we've gone to our favorite place in creation and we would get quiet in front of the majesty of the mountain or the beauty of a sea. There's something in you that says there has to be more to this world than just meets the eye right? 
There has to be a creator. There has to be something more on a spiritual level than just what my five senses can understand. And what's happening, if you've ever had that experience, and many of us have, it's God's glory being shown in his creation. The heavens are speaking the very truth of God to you and I. And then God doesn't stop there. A second way he reveals his glory is through Christ. He shows his glory through Christ. I love how John would put this in the opening chapter of his gospel. He says, and the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his, say this word with me, glory. Say it again, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, people still ask me, and I Hopefully they ask you too, you know, why do you Christians always focus on Jesus? I may have had a dear friend of mine say to me back in Cleveland, you know, it'd be a lot less complicated if you just focused on God. Because like everybody believes in God, but as soon as you mention Jesus, it's like, okay, that's a conversation stopper, you know, and, and things like that. And, and there's a good answer to why we focus on Jesus. And the Bible just taught us why. And that's because Jesus existed for all of eternity as the second person of the Trinity, God of all gods, as the Son of God. And what John is telling us here is that he became a human being 2,000 years ago, and now maybe it'll make sense to you. When people rubbed shoulders with him, when they beheld him, they said, we're beholding thee, say the word with me, glory. When they interacted with Jesus, there was something different about him. Yeah, he's God. And there's something otherworldly about him, something even non-human about him. And they sensed the glory. Why? Because anytime something breaks through of God into this world, it's his glory. And it's why Jesus is so incredibly important because then he'd go to the cross as we're going to see in a minute. Even when he went to the cross, as painful as that was for him, he refers to it as glory because it's in his death on a cross for our sins that secured our salvation that God breaks through into this world. And anytime God breaks through, it's his, say it with me, glory. Uh, you know, I, have you ever been to some congregations that are more charismatic or Pentecostal in nature. I love being among them because you'll be in a worship service with them and there'll be some, you know, old chubby lady with her hands raised up and she'll be going, glory, glory. And some of you people like have no idea what to do with that because you're Scottsdale people and you're uptight and you don't know how to worship and things like that. And, and so you'll be going like, this is freaking me out. What's going on? You know what's going on? That lady is experiencing God in that moment. And as God breaks through into her heart and mind, the only word she knows how to say at that moment is what? Glory. Because God is in the house. And God is in the house in his creation. God is in the house when we're focusing on Jesus. And now let me blow your mind with one last way that God shows his glory, and that's in his church. Whoa. I mean, the first two make sense, right? Grand Tetons. Oh, go back here. Grand Tetons. Yeah, yeah, we get it, the glory of God. Jesus Christ, yeah, we get it, glory of God. Now God says, I've also reserved my glory for you. Now look at how he says it in Ephesians chapter three, verse 21. It says, to him, God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. You guys gotta grab onto this. 
But when it says that God wants his glory to be revealed in the church, let me ask you a leading question. Does he mean a building on a street corner, yes or no? No. Does he mean a bunch of programs and ministries that churches come up with to keep church people busy? No. What he means when he says that his glory is gonna be revealed in the church is you and me. Anytime God's people gets together, God smacks a label on that thing and says, that's my church and I'm reserving my best work to work through my people. And some of you say, well, how could that be? We're so messed up. God says amen to that. You are messed up. And he knows that. He knows you're fallen and frail and weak, even though you all put on a good front. He knows that. But he says that when you're weak, I am strong. And if a church dare, dares to get together and be the church, preaching the word of God, worshiping him in spirit and truth, loving each other with the love of another kind, serving him, reaching out to those in need. He says, if you guys do that, I will inhabit your praises, as the prophet said. I will be among you, and my glory will be revealed. Wow, in the church. To show you how this might look, I want you to watch a story that we put together this week. Our creative arts people are amazing, and they told you a few weeks ago, they kind of scour our congregation for stories of, quite frankly, how God's glory is breaking through. And there's a story of just a sweet young girl in our junior high ministry of all places whom God's glory was revealed to in and through us as the church that affected her whole family. And it's a very inspiring story. Look up here on the screen. I grew up going to a Catholic church with all my family. As I got older and my siblings started moving away, we didn't talk as much. We stopped going to church and we all kind of drifted apart too. Like I couldn't talk to them about things that are really affecting my life. We kind of stopped going because it wasn't giving me that joy that I needed. So I found excuses not to go. Before uh, Scottsdale Bible, we were obligated Christians, living an obligated Christian life. So we just kind of lived through that. I can't remember if it was sixth grade or seventh grade when Natalia started going to the food and fellowship. I was invited by my two friends and I went at lunch one day and I just loved the environment. Everybody was so welcoming. We'd eat, joke around, and then read some of the scripture and it felt really comforting to know that I can ask questions and that I wouldn't be judged. And it just seemed comfortable for me to be there. My friend invited me to church and I came on a Sunday for the impact service. I felt the same joy of everybody being welcoming and as I felt more comfortable going to church and going to food and fellowship, I became a lot more like passionate to learn more about Christ and I knew it was the right time to truly like put my faith forward and not something that I felt was obligated. Natalia started coming here and what was interesting about that is the transformation in who she was. I asked my daughter, what is it that makes you so happy? It was kind of that, you know, I wish we could go, but we're Catholic, we don't, you know, we don't go to other churches. I found out my sister was going through the same thing as me and just wanted our parents to be involved. So my mom and her decided to do Bible studies together. She would give me homework and made me read it and memorize passages, because I never touched a Bible before until you know a year ago. Stephania really convinced Maria you know, you guys should go and to Scottsdale Bible and try it out. And so we did. 
then every time I went to church, Pastor Jamie was like just talking to me. I always had a question and God will always answer it. Once we started to go in church together, I felt that connection and I felt that peace come back into my life. And we just broke out crying of how much we loved Jesus and we all decided to be baptized again. You know, baptism represents washing away of sin. It represents dying and being reborn. And that, you know, again, is really powerful. What a relief that is. The weight of 50 years just, you know, falling away. I feel that our relationship has continued to grow and it's gone better and better. And it brought all of us closer as a family. We are just connected on a different level. You know, what a joy it is to come. Not, a, not an obligation, not a burden. It's, you know, truly a joy to come. The words now have much more meaning and much more depth. So yeah, Natalia really has been instrumental and, in, you know, it all started with pizza and fellowship, which is <laughs> ironically funny. <laughs> I love about our church is that we really have so many denominations and denominational backgrounds represented here. Some of you come from Catholic backgrounds, some of you from Presbyterian or like me, Baptist or, you know, and, and I've joked for years that we're all really spiritual mutts when you think about it. I mean, there's no purebreds among us and because uh, we have so many different backgrounds, but we come and we, we talk about Jesus, we, we bend the knee to Jesus, we focus on him, we love each other, serve each other, we teach his word on unashamedly. And as we do that, here's my point. God does things like this. I mean, we didn't manufacture this. We didn't try to do this. I mean, I guess we did. I mean, we're just being the church. And here's what you need to see more than anything, guys. When we are the church, when we're firing on eight cylinders as God wants us to, his glory is revealed in us. And it really is a miracle of all miracles when you think about it, that he would use you and me. So quickly to recap, we see God only in and through his glory. His glory is any time an aspect of him breaks through into this fallen world of ours, we are to yell literally glory as that happens. Whether it's in creation, whether it's in our understanding and relationship with Jesus our Savior, or whether it's even through the church, you and I, it's all glory. And I hope for now, forever, you understand what this glory thing is and that it means something very deep to your spiritual life. Now, we have just a few minutes re remaining. For you clock watchers, I'm just going to let you know right now, we're going to go probably five minutes over. So will that reduce the anxiety for some of you if we do that? Because we have to cover one last thing, and you're not going to fire me over this. So we have to look one last thing, and that's what was Jesus saying about God's glory then, now that we understand it, in these two verses. And here's what he's saying, and it's a game changer. And that is that God's glory is not pain-free, but it is God-infused. Let me repeat that, this is so important. God's glory, contrary to how many people tend to see it, is not a pain-free experience, but it is a God-infused experience. I want you to look one last time at the text here and you'll see how Jesus was clearly 
communicating this. He begins by saying, John begins by saying, when he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, now pause right there. So Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus, one of his closest friends, one of his 12 followers, when this dude betrays Jesus and leaves the Last Supper to go hand over the Son of God to the chief priests for 30 pieces of silver, breaking Jesus' heart, that's the backdrop, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were betrayed by a very close friend or family member and your response was, glory, now is the time for me to be glorified in this betrayal? Any of you have that response recently? If you did, you'd be thinking rightly. Jesus goes on to say, because now God is glorified in the Son of Man, and if God is glorified in the Son of Man, then God will also glorify him in himself, meaning God, and he will glorify him at once. You know what Jesus is referring to here when he uses this five times repeated phrase, glory? He's referring not just to Judas, but he's referring to the other bookend of it, and that's the cross. Jesus is saying, I was just betrayed, Within 24 hours, I'm going to be hanging on a cross, dying for the sins of humankind, a terrible criminal's shameful, painful death. And in the midst of these bookends, he's screaming glory. And the question that you and I have to be asking right now is what in the world is that about? I mean, that's not the understanding that many of us tend to have of glory. I love how one Bible commentator nails it. He says, Jesus is looking to the cross and speaks of glory. The glorification of Christ is connected with what appears to human understanding as the very opposite of glory. Amen? I mean, Jesus is talking about his death. He's talking about betrayal. And he's speaking of glory. Now, with what you understand about glory, I'm going to ask you a question that I'm going to answer. You don't have to answer this, but answer it to yourself. With your understanding of glory now, what could Jesus be getting at? See, I think what Jesus is getting at here is he's saying, even in the midst of the betrayal, even in the midst of my impending death, God is in the house. His purposes remain unthwarted. He is about to do something in and through me for all of humanity that they could not do for themselves, meaning die on a cross for their sins. And it's because of that, because of the showing up of God into this fallen world, that there is going to be glory here right now, even in the midst of the pain. Give me a head nod, y'all get that. And here's my question. Could that also be then true for your very life? See, here's the problem. Some of you came in here today and you're messed up. I get it. You're in a safe place. Glad you're messed up. Glad you're here at church. You're in a lot of pain. You're in a lot of confusion. You're dealing with a lot of things in your life right now. A beautiful mess. That's what we're calling this series. And when you hear the word glory, here's the way many Christians, let alone seekers, tend to think. They tend to think, oh, good, glory. That means good things are coming down the pike. Like we think of glory and you think, well, the birth of a child, glory. A nice wedding ceremony, glory. A new job, Glory. You read a great Christian book, like the one I'm writing. Glory. (laughs) And and you tend to associate by doing that, we tend to associate, now tell me this isn't true, glory with good things, good feelings, and blessings, right? And and, and that's not wrong. I mean, is there glory in the birth of a child? Yes. Is there glory in a nice wedding ceremony? Yes. Is there glory when you get blessed with a new job or read a great book? Yes. 
But the reality is, is if you limit glory to those things, you will rob yourself of seeing the glory of God in all of life. And even in the midst of your darkest days. Because even in the darkness, John says, the light has shined. Even in the darkness, Jesus is willing to show up. And if he shows up, there is glory. And that's how Jesus could scream glory in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of death. Because if God is in the house, then it's not as dark as it might seem. I'd only been a Christian six years when I first realized this. I got saved, that's another Christian buzzword, saved in 1981. And in 1986, actually, so five years later, I went off to seminary. And it's for another sermon, but probably the darkest days of my life was when I was in seminary. I actually nicknamed it cemetery in hindsight because, and it has nothing to do with the nature of seminary. I mean, I sit on a seminary board, but for me, they were very dark days. I was young, I was confused. I was very depressed, I mean literally clinically depressed. I suffered from free-floating anxiety attacks. In fact, the very first time I ever spoke in public, I threw up like crazy. An hour before, I was terrified to speak in front of people. I was a really messed up young guy. A lot of it went back to my father wounds. I've talked about those. My, my dad and I just, <laughs> my dad says, you know, we never got along since you were like two. And I said, well, the onus isn't on a two-year-old, but that's another story. And so, you know, I, I, I had a real sandpaper relationship with my dad. And uh, as a young man, I was filled with a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear. And it, it really almost knocked me out of the game. And I remember there are times in seminaries I was dealing with this and the anxiety and the depression, just thinking, how in the world can God use me? Again, I'm a mess. And, and I thought, here I am studying to be a minister. And there's just no way that he can use me. But I had some good mentors back then and people saying, just stay in the ring. You're against the ropes. Just stay in the ring. Don't get out. Let's see what God might do. And over years, it took years, God persevered me through it. Over years, I eventually experienced a lot of healing. And let's be honest about it. I still deal with depression today, and I deal with a lot of those things today. But, but the edge has taken off, and I've learned how to function very well within it. But those were really dark days. And yet, here's what I would tell you in hindsight. Many times you don't see it to hindsight. Is that when I look back, there were times that I thought God had completely abandoned me. You ever felt that way? There are times where I felt like there's just no, I mean, where is he? And now I look back and I audit those experiences and I can see his hand of grace. I can see his glory working in the midst of my pain and making me the man that I am today. And I'll blow your mind even more. Many people who know me super well, like my wife or some of my dear mentors, they have said to me, and I don't like hearing this, neither were you, but it's true. They've said, we thank God for those days. Because if you had never had those days, you wouldn't be the pastor you are today. God was using those to shape you into the man you are. And I will say this, that when people come into my office today and tell me their tale of woe, and if their tale of woe involves depression or free-floating anxiety or things of that nature, I do got to tell you, there's a soft spot in me that says, I get it. You don't even have to tell me anymore. I know what you're going through. And I know the pain, and I know the fear, and I even know you're hopeless, and you think it'll never end. And I always quote the great psalm to them that says, there's weeping in the night, but there is joy in the morning. And that's where we get that phrase, that this too shall pass. Why can I say that? Because of the glory that visits us even in the dark times. 
And some of you came in here today and at Mountain Valley Cactus and Venue and Chapel and watching online, some of you are in real dark places right now. And if you don't hear anything else here today, hear this one word, glory. That could it be that God's glory, even if you don't know it or feel it, it's there and be open to that. It's a beautiful mess if God's in the house. Very quickly, I told you we'd go a few minutes over. People have asked me over the years, how do I tap into God's glory? Well, I taught this again back in 09, but it's worth repeating. There's three things that God has said you can do at any given time to tap into his glory. You can worship him, you can open up his word, and you can follow him through doing good works and serving. And believe it or not, there, there are Bible verses for all of these. Look at worship. This one's so powerful. It says in Psalm 29:2, ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name, worship the Lord in holy array. You know what the biggest problem is with this verse? Most Christians really don't believe this. Most Christians really don't know how to worship God. I'm not going to pick on y'all because I get you, you're Scottsdale people, but you know, there's times where we're worshiping and I know it's not always about raising hands and stuff like that, but there's times where we're worshiping and I'll just grant, glance back at you guys and I love you and I don't judge you, not a lot, and, 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 I, and I look back at you and and you, you know what scares me the most is when I see some of you, and again, by, by the way that you're functioning, I just wonder if you're worshiping God at all. I, I mean, there's no mouth moving. <laughs> you're just kind of standing there like you're you know, watching the opera or something like that. And, and I sit there and go, do, do you understand that we're singing songs right now that, that, are supposed, that are designed to lift your sights, to lift your emotions to Almighty God? <clears throat> And at the very least, start singing them. And again, I know some of you think, because you say it to me offline, you go, I don't really like the singing part of church, you know, and I don't really like those songs. And I go, you know, here's the problem. You ain't going to be saying that in heaven. Do you all understand that? I mean, I know the Bible. and the Bible says that in heaven, guess what you're going to spend a lot of time doing? Singing. And in heaven, you're not going to say to God, I don't like this song, God. I'm not going to sing it. You're not going to do that because you're gonna have a perfect body, a restored soul, and you are gonna sing in heaven. And you're gonna like it, I promise you. And so here's the logic. Why don't you practice now? And I'm not even talking just here, driving down the road, at home in your quiet time. Honestly, I told you, my neighbors think I'm nuts because there's times where I'm in, when I'm in pain and I'm angst, I like to walk because I'm just kind of a fidgety guy. And so there'll be times I walk around my neighborhood, I'm bothered by some of the church or in my kid's life or whatever, and I'm walking around the neighborhood and I'm talking. And I'm talking to myself. And my neighbors think I'm like whack job, you know, or whatever. But, but what am I doing? I'm actually talking to God and there's times that I'll even just sing to him as I'm walking around my neighborhood because there's something about worship of lifting your soul up to him, the Bible says his glory will be in that place. And then the word, we don't have to, I mean, you guys know this, your Scottsdale Bible Church, the word is a source of his glory. Jesus says that man shall not live by bread alone, but out of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Go to this book, there's glory in the truth of this book. And then lastly, are works. Again, I'm not talking about works salvation. I'm just saying that, look what Jesus said. I mean, he links it to glory. Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, point being is that when you and I love other people, serve other people, get out of ourselves and pour into other people, God says he shows up in that setting, reveals his glory to the point that they see it and go, wow, I think I'm gonna look to God. <laughs> Some of you here today saying you're in too much pain to serve him. No, you're not. You're in a perfect place to serve him because when you're weak, 
The Bible says, then you're strong. And it all goes back to glory. If you don't hear anything else today, because we're completely out of time, please hear this. He loves you. And he understands that your life can become messy. And God is in the habit of turning messes into beautiful messes. And one of the ways he does it is through his glory. And if you look to him, I promise you, his glory will be upon you. He's good for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for your truth. I thank you, God, for the experiences that we can have for you that at the end of the day are all about your glory. And God, I thank you that you have chosen to share your glory with us. God, you are so self-sufficient as the Trinity of God. You could have for all of eternity decided to not engage in creation, to not send Christ, to not form your church, and you would have been okay. But God, because you love us. And because of your glory, you have done that. So God, I pray that this week we might be glory seekers, glory hunters, not for ourselves, but Lord, to just get glimpses of your glory as you break into our lives. And may we tell lots of stories of it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.